Okay, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of the morning on Friday, January 22nd from my apartment on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And uh, like uh, <laughs> just about everybody else, I guess, I am feeling a great sense of relief. And, uh, you know, the really strange thing about the end of the Trump presidency, if not necessarily the Trump era, because Trumpism is a phenomenon which may survive and we may yet have to contend with, but at least at the end of the Trump presidency, is that even with 400,000 dead in the United States, even with the worst economic crisis since the 1930s, even with the country that used to be considered the leader of the free world, quote unquote, becoming a human rights pariah, even with all that, things did not turn out as badly as I'd feared, because Trump never quite established a dictatorship, and we didn't quite go over the edge into civil war, which are two possibilities I had definitely been anticipating, if not predicting, ever since November 2016. But I have to emphasize that we aren't out of the woods yet by any stretch of the imagination, which is why it is imperative that now there must be a maximal and thoroughgoing process of detrumpification in the United States. Just like the Allies imposed a, uh, a program of denazification in Germany after the Second World War. We need a thorough and complete and ruthless detrumpification of the United States. And that is the imperative task of the progressive forces in this country at this moment is to press Biden for a maximum detrumpification. And I have to say, all right, with the preface, with the caveat, that, you know, I am going to, uh, in the coming weeks and months and years, in my journalistic work and my commentaries and my blogging, I am going to be taking, uh, uh, you know, a very harsh and critical look at everything that Biden does. He is not going to escape any scrutiny or criticism on my part. And my fellow progressives out there who are now saying no honeymoon, well, yeah, I'm with them. But with that said, I have to say that thus far, after just, uh, you know, <laughs> a day and a half now of, of his presidency, things are moving faster than I had thought that they would. You know, I got to start by giving the guy credit. He hit the ground running. Immediately after the inauguration, he went back to the White House and signed 17 executive orders undoing the fundamentals of the Trump administration's most oppressive policies, beginning with immigration. The uh, so-called Muslim ban has been lifted. Trump's suspension of DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the Obama-era program, which had allowed undocumented immigrants who arrived in the country in their childhood to um, 
remain on a temporary basis, at least, it's back on again. Trump had suspended it. His legal power to do so was challenged in the courts. So as with the the so-called Muslim ban, the judiciary had actually imposed certain restraints on its enforcement. But um, now the question is moot. The program is back on again. DACA is back on again. Trump's suspension of it has been reversed by executive order. Critically, border wall construction has been halted. And even more critically, the state of national emergency, which had been declared by Trump in February 2019 in order to override the will of Congress and use outlays for military spending to build the border wall, has finally been officially reversed. I mean, can you imagine all this time? Since February 2019, we've been under a state of national emergency in the United States. Finally, Biden has turned that off. Mere hours after the inauguration, all deportations are on hold, pending a federal review. And another program which had been uh, overturned by, by Trump, Deferred Enforced Departure, for Liberian nationals in the United States, which has been instated way back in the 1990s in response to uh, political violence in Liberia, is also back on again. A related program, Temporary Protected Status, for nationals of El Salvador, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Sudan, which Trump had also terminated. I haven't heard that Biden has uh, put that one back on. Hopefully that'll be next. But in any event... Where immigration policy is concerned, de-Trumpification has begun. Biden has wasted no time. One critical question where immigration is concerned that I don't believe the initial slew of executive orders has addressed is the detention system, the nascent concentration camp system, which was established by Trump, and especially the status of children who were detained at the border and separated from their families. But that's kind of a, uh, a tricky one. That isn't something that can really be undone at the stroke of a pen. <clears throat> because there are certain, you know, there's a certain number of kids who are simply lost in the system. It's believed, uh, according to the last account I read, there are 124 children who are still in ICE detention facilities as of a few months ago. Uh, like two years ago, uh, when the mass detention was at its peak. The number was uh, upwards of 2,000. But there are uh, several more who are probably, uh, you know, been farmed out to foster families and whatnot. And in any event, returning them to their families who might be um, themselves deported and are, you know, back in rural villages in Central America and so on is not going to be easy. This is going to be a considerably more complicated process to sort out. But it demands attention immediately. Hopefully, Biden is going to be getting on that. Under the executive orders, which were just issued, non-citizens are to be once again counted in the U.S. Census, another matter which uh, had been under contestation in the court system. The U.S. has uh, initiated the process of rejoining the Paris Climate Change Agreement, and rejoining the World Health Organization, particularly critical in light of the global pandemic. 
And Biden has resurrected a body which was established by Obama called the Directorate for Global Health Security and Biodefense, established precisely for the contingency which we were facing a year ago when the novel coronavirus arrived in North America, and designed precisely to head off the kind of disastrous situation that we find ourselves in today. It was a program that was launched by Obama. Trump dismantled it. Now it's back on again. Trump's assault on public lands is being reversed. His initiative to reduce the uh, boundaries of the Bear Ears and Gran Escalante National Monuments in Utah, as a favor to the mining and resource industries, has been reversed. The original borders of those national monuments are to be restored. The Keystone XL oil pipeline, which had been approved by Trump to bring tar sand oils down from, uh, from northern Canada to U.S. markets, has been called off. Its permit has been suspended. Biden has ordered a robust interagency effort, quote-unquote, requiring all federal agencies to make rooting out systemic racism, quote-unquote, central to their work, and federal protections against sex discrimination have been brought in to include LGBTQ Americans. Biden has reversed Trump's executive order limiting the ability of federal agencies, contractors, and other institutions to hold diversity and inclusion training. And uh, this is very interesting. In the final days of his administration, Trump had launched a so-called 1776 Commission, which released a report, (laughs) unbelievable, not not even just five days ago, (laughs) on Monday, just five days ago, released a report that basically sanitized the role of slavery in early United States history, called for, um, quote-unquote, patriotic education, which would essentially gloss over or rewrite the legacy of slavery and racism in American history. And I'll point out the irony that that term, patriotic education, quote-unquote, is lifted directly from the Chinese dictatorship that Trump so ostentatiously loved to hate. Xi Jinping has uh, launched an identically named program, Patriotic Education, and this document uh, this from the 1776 Commission, which was posted to the White House website on Monday, two days before the inauguration, maddeningly likened progressives who seek, you know, a, a realistic and frank accounting of the ugly elements of uh, the history of this country, to Mussolini and the fascists, which uh, is an example of what I call the paradoxical fascist pseudo-anti-fascism, a particularly sleazy tendency that I have called out before. And the, uh, the so-called 1776 document has been purged from the White House website. It was seemingly deleted immediately upon the inauguration. 12 noon on Wednesday. It's gone. And good riddance. So, detrumpification has begun. And it began literally just hours after the inauguration. All right, now let me turn to uh, some of the text 
of Biden's inaugural address that some progressives have pointed to as uh, potentially worrisome. Biden kept on repeating the word unity, kept appealing to unity. And, you know, there's a certain sense of inevitability to this, of course, given the events of recent weeks. And um, some progressives are reading this as an admonition to them, to the progressive forces in the country, that we're going to have to unify with the emboldened and radicalized racist right. Now, I actually think that that was not the intent of this, you know, repeated ritualistic invocation of unity. I think that that message was actually intended for the Republicans, particularly the Republicans in Congress, to unify behind him, behind Biden. I think that was the intent. I think that's, you know, what was the intended audience for his calls for unity was the Republicans, not the progressives. But that doesn't mean that there isn't some potential for trouble here. I'm going to read a little passage from Biden's inaugural, Unity, Unity, repeats it twice. In another January in Washington, on New Year's Day, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it will be for this act and my whole soul is in it, unquote. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together uniting our people and uniting our nation. I ask every American to join me in this cause, unquote. That was, you know, a quote from Biden's inaugural, which contained a quote from Lincoln after the sign of the Emancipation Proclamation. And, uh, you know, this is a little bit, um, a little bit revisionist. This is really distorting. the. It's a poor historical analogy. It's a flawed historical analogy. Because Lincoln's signing of the Emancipation Proclamation was not about unity. It came in the middle of the Civil War, smack dab in the middle of it, with more than two years left to go, with the Battle of Gettysburg and the Siege of Vicksburg and the Fort Pillow Massacre still ahead of him. So the Emancipation Proclamation was not about unity, except in the sense that Lincoln had finally realized at that point that the slave economy was the driving motor force of Southern secessionism. And Southern secessionism could not be defeated without the smashing of the slave power. But it certainly was not about, quote-unquote, bringing America together in the sense that Biden meant it. And Biden also invoked the famous line from Lincoln's first inaugural, March 4th, 1861, when in a bid to head off the Civil War, He said, and I uh, condense somewhat, we are not enemies but friends. We must not be enemies. The mystic chords of memory will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Six weeks later, the Civil War began. And then in similar famous words of consolation, In Lincoln's second inaugural, March 4th, 1865, again, I condensed somewhat, with malice toward none, with charity for all, 
Let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Six weeks later, he was assassinated. So yeah, while I'm breathing a sigh of relief, it's tempered. My relief is tempered by a lingering foreboding, shall we say. American democracy and the Republic have survived the Trump presidency, but perhaps not Trumpism. A part of the reason that, you know, my worst fears about what the Trump presidency might bring were not realized is that while Trump had the fascist instinct and the charisma among his followers, sick as it seems to us, he had absolutely no tactical astuteness and only a limited command of the state apparatus. Because in vivid contrast to Biden, he'd never held public office before and he, didn't, he, he couldn't even pass a basic civics class. He just basically had no idea how the system even worked. And he was never able to really win the trust of the bureaucracy or the deep state, as his uh, followers like to demonize it. And another part of what saved us from fascism is that Trump had no black shirts or brown shirts back in 2016 when he was first elected. He didn't have his paramilitary enforcers on the ground, as Hitler and Mussolini did before taking power, which was critical to their seizure of power and their ability to consolidate fascism and to consolidate dictatorship immediately upon seizing power but that may be coming together now. A Trumpian paramilitary network on the ground across the country may be coming together now, galvanized by the events of January 6th. And what worries me is that January 6th may prove to have been Trump's beer hall pooch, so to speak. His attempted Reichstag fire which failed and turned out to be merely his beer hall pooched. In which case, as last time, there could be a second act. And just as the beer hall pooch of 1923 was followed <clears throat> by the Reichstag fire in 1933, the Capitol Hill insurrection of January 6th could prove to be just a harbinger of worse things to come. or. Maybe not. Maybe it really was the last gasp of Trumpism. Maybe we can truly hope that Trumpism is decisively defeated and the Capitol Hill insurrection will prove to have been its final gasp. But the more thoroughly Trump's political program is reversed, the more thoroughly Trumpism will be politically defeated, especially given, you know, the glorification of winning and the denigration of weakness in the rhetoric of Trumpism. It's utter defeat and utter reversal is what is mandated to assure that it does not come back to haunt us. Now, of course, nothing in this world is guaranteed. There is the risk of a backlash, which I do not dismiss by any stretch of the imagination. 
but I submit that the greater risk is that of appeasement. So I reiterate, the most critical task now for progressive forces in the United States is to press Biden for the most rapid, complete, and thoroughgoing process of detrumpification. Now, I'll note uh, one point of disturbing continuity, (laughs) which is that um, immediately upon Biden's inauguration, the anarchist hotheads in Portland, Oregon, took to the streets and ransacked the Democratic Party headquarters and mixed it up with the local constabulary. And just hours after the inauguration, just as uh, Biden was sitting down in the Oval Office and signing all of those executive orders to reverse many of the fundamentals of Trumpism, federal police in Portland, Oregon, now officially under Biden's command, rather than Trump's, were hurling tear gas at protesters. And while, yeah, I'm down with the, uh, the no honeymoon ethic or slogan, <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure I go along with a lot of the rhetoric that was heard from the, uh, the protesters in Portland on Inauguration Day. That, you know, the big threat now is the restoration of a neoliberal order under President Biden. Now, yeah, I share that concern. There is a certain logic to the notion that the betrayal of workers and the middle class and the common people of the United States by free trade economics over the past two generations since Reagan is what led to the backlash that was deftly harnessed and exploited by Trump. There is a certain logic to that. But Trump wedded that backlash to an ideology of white supremacy. Those two words, which were, for the first time in a presidential inaugural address, actually invoked by Joe Biden. Again, I quote, and now in a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat to overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and to secure the future of America requires more than words. It requires that most elusive of things in a democracy, unity. Unity. And then he goes on into the uh, invocation of the of Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation, which I quoted earlier. So, uh, while there is something which is groundbreaking and salubrious about Biden invoking white supremacy, there's also something a little bit um, problematic about it because he poses the solution as unity and then goes on to cite the Emancipation Proclamation as if it were an example of unity, when it was not. It was an example of disunity in the sense that white supremacy was dealt a decisive political and, in fact, military defeat in the Civil War, by no means a fatal one because we all know what followed after the end of Reconstruction. But nonetheless, a decisive one. So if we're going to criticize Biden for not squaring with the centrality and criticality of white supremacy in the phenomenon of Trumpism and the utter inexorable mandate for its defeat, we've got to be careful not to play into that tendency in our own rhetoric and demands. And when I hear about the, the, the protesters in Portland, 
portraying, you know, the current threat as restoration of the neoliberal order. Again, I share that concern, but just two days, or not even two days, mere hours, <laughs> when those protests were going on, <laughs> into the Biden administration, I submit that it is way too soon to be portraying that as the primary threat. And I am extremely wary of any leftist rhetoric that plays into the normalization or relativization of Trumpism or Trump fascism. And if we're going to be appropriately wary of Biden doing that, appeasing Trumpism, even at, even at its moment of seeming defeat, we should also be cautious of, in our own way, doing it ourselves. Now, Biden will escape no scrutiny or criticism on my part, and hopefully not on the part of any progressive forces in this country. And there may be a time, in fact, in a perverse way, I almost hope that there is, <laughs> when the principal threat will be, you know, potential restoration of the neoliberal order, which never really, really went away. But right now, the most critical threat remains Trumpism. And the most critical task for the progressive forces in the United States is pressing the Biden administration for the most profound uncompromising, intransigent, and thoroughgoing process of detrumpification. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where I blog about such matters every day. Support us on Patreon, join the Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.